Roger. Old City Station at 2200 hours. All is well. Understood. All stations clear. You amaze me, Commander. Oh, how is that? A 20-year space veteran, yet you choose the worst duty station in town. I mean, look at this place. This is the hind end of space. Peace and quiet appeals to me, Lieutenant. Yeah, well, maybe that's okay for someone like you, whose career is winding down. But me, I need some challenge in my life, some adventure, maybe even just a surprise or two. Well, you know what they say, Lieutenant. Be careful what you wish for. You may get it. Where is this going? Where does it end? I don't know. You don't know or you won't tell me? I told you before. No one can see beyond a choice they don't understand. And I mean no one. What choice? It doesn't matter. It's my choice. I have mine to make, same as you have yours. Does that include what things to tell me and what not to tell me? Of course not. Then why didn't you tell me about the architect? Why didn't you tell me about Zion and the ones before me? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Because it wasn't time for you to know. Who decided it wasn't time? You know who. Yes, hurry home, princess. We wouldn't want to miss old daddy's celebration, now would we? Ha! Celebration indeed. Oh, bah! In my day, we had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace. Oh, and now look at me. Wasted away to practically nothing. Banished and exiled and practically starving. While he and his flimsy fish folks celebrate. Well, I'll give them something to celebrate soon enough. Chris Gauzer here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Run, we check out the first animated feature for A24, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Is it their first animated feature? I'm pretty sure. I did some cursory looking, and I'm pretty sure it is. Then we'll get our visual poetry on with Days of Heaven, the first entry on our Terrence Malick Marathon. Then we'll run down those physical media releases, give you our choices for the straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week, and wrap up the show by slowing it down for another happening entry of the lounge. So put on some smooth jazz and take a listen to Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. You know, there, there's nothing in here about finding them. There's so much nothing. She's the best. She. What? But my dad has pink shoes. So do my grandfather. So cute. Peace. Uh, yeah, obviously peace. Like, what a weird thing to try to test to see if someone else is into. Like, of course I'm into peace. No, sorry, I'm a real war person. No, war, actually. I sign all my personal letters. War. Let the battle begin, Marcel. So, Matt, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. From A24, as you said in the intro, movie I was trying to see for a while now, right? I guess it got its limited release. Took us about three weeks um, around a COVID for me. (laughs) We (laughs) finally were able to catch up with it. So, Matt, what is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On all about? So, this is based off of a series of internet shorts, which I was not familiar with, but... Uh, essentially, this is a, a story of a documentary filmmaker who starts uh, interviewing the titular Marcel the Shell with shoes on, and he comes to find out that he's essentially alone, only with his grandmother, and they decide to go out and search the country for the missing his missing family, the rest of the shells. Perfect. So, Matt, th- this is getting some rave reviews out there, mm-hmm. and some people saying it's like the what heartwarming film of the year that reaffirms your belief in life and and art and all these other things and how do you come down with marcel did he get you all warmed up on the inside is this kind of like a not quite wes andersy kind of film of 
delicateness and beauty with some sharp kind of clever humor, but really making some substantial life-affirming points? Did it kind of hit that bell for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I will say this is a very, it's a lovely little film. It certainly will make you feel, give you the warm and fuzzies. I, I don't think this kind of rose to the occasion of having those kind of sense of, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for here, but like almost like a sense of like a, a turning almost, or I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I've, it's not to the level of some of the movies, animated films I've seen, like it's such a wonderful day where I felt it was such like a, a powerful movement. Mm-hmm. It was more of like, this was comfortable. This was like a warm blanket. It kind of gives you a reaffirming of, of what it is. I don't think it really challenges you. I don't think it really has a, like a lot of new ideas, but it's, it is a very enjoyable, comforting watch. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. I didn't find it, Matt, particularly profound. Mm-hmm. I think we both... I'm not sure which one of us is worse on this, but I am mostly dead inside <laughs> at this point. So I th- thought the film was lovely. Yeah. I thought it was delightful. Yeah. All right? And perhaps more delightful than hilarious. In fact, I think that clip it probably that we just played was probably the time I laughed the most mm-hmm. in the theater was that one scene. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. It's not rip-roaring hilarious, but it's an enjoyable time. I like the world that Fleischer Camp creates in Marcel, how we have various inanimate objects living enduringly sweet lives, right? And, I, you know, it's a nice little escape. It's a nice little family-friendly experience. Did you bring First Run Junior to this, or were you riding solo? I was riding solo. I had to get in there, but... Unfortunately, I must have failed as a parent because First Friend Junior is not flat out told me I'm not really a movie person, so I feel like oh. I think I've actually failed somewhere along the way. I'm hoping she'll turn the corner as she gets older. Uh, maybe when she hits her uh, preteen teen years, she'll she'll come around. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, I will say I think Marcel maybe runs a little long. Mm. I think when I guess you made previously, what are they like, five, six minute shorts? Uh, yeah, I guess. I haven't seen any of them. That you're going to run. I mean, it's still not, it's not like it's expansive. Right. You know, it barely touches 90 minutes, I think. But it does feel a little bit of padding, which I think is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think this is as large a story really to tell. But I still find it engaging, if not slight. Yeah. You know what, Chris? You're kind of hitting all the words I wanted to... Say, I think the word I was looking for was profound. I didn't have any kind of moments of kind of revelation in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think and there are people who are saying that, and I'm just like, really? I really? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I was kind of looking around this on online a little bit before the show, and I see a lot of people saying, as a young adult, I really connect with this, and I don't know if we're because we're if we're like middle age that like it doesn't hit, it and we're. We've seen it all before, and I don't know. I really don't know what it is, but maybe it's just not for our demographic. I mean, I don't. I don't know if I would say it's slight, but like I said, there's not. It's not necessarily deep. You know, I. I feel like I'm crapping all over this movie, but it's just. It's just a. You know, a, an enjoyable diversion. I liked it. I would probably watch it again. I don't know if I'd ever buy it, but I would definitely catch up with it again if it was there. Yeah, and and I want to give particular praise too to Jenny Slate. She's the one that voices Marcel, and she co-created mm-hmm. this entire endeavor with Elias Camp. I'm sorry, Fleischer Camp. Excuse me. I think she's. I love her character. I love her Marcel. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always fun to listen to and fun to watch. Also, Isabella Rossellini, who plays Connie, Marcel's grandmother. Mm-hmm. As well, I think, has a nice turn in this, and I enjoyed her too. But, yeah, I think in the end, Matt, I'm giving Marcel a B. I didn't hate it. I think it was yeah. fine. Yeah. It was a nice little, you know, 90-minute thing and make you kind of give you a little pep, a little like, oh, that was nice. And then you move on the rest of your day. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a B plus. I think, I think for these trying times, I think maybe it's getting so much mm. traction because it just makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't really fault you there. So if you finally had a chance to see Marcel the Shell with shoes on, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Should we check out the shorts there? I think they're all on YouTube. Let us know. It was something we should dive deeper into. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, August 9th. Two films that I will say are interesting, if not entirely successful, are getting their physical media releases. I have a concept for you. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It came to me when I saw you use a Sark unit as part of your show. The Sark was originally an, an autopsy module. Did you know that? I knew that. 
Have you ever thought about using it for a real autopsy? As part of your show? Performed an autopsy. On a corpse. Mm-hmm. I have a corpse for you. It's a very special corpse. You could do a live autopsy on a dead body. I mean, there would be surprises. I can guarantee you a few surprises. Yes, you can. That, of course, is, uh, I believe, Scott Speedman, right? And Viggo Mortensen and David Cronenberg's mostly successful, at least interesting, Crimes of the Future mm-hmm. uh, that recently came out. A film that I think that you found it an interesting, enjoyable experience, but we were both a little underwhelmed by that one. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, there includes a making of featurette, and it actually it's down to like 14 15 bucks on Amazon right now. You can pick it up on Blu-ray. Also a film, Matt, I think you enjoyed a little bit more than I did. Alex Garland's Ment is getting its physical media release mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but the young woman who has a horrible tragedy in her life and she goes to the countryside to kind of get away for a bit. And she, every man or boy she encounters is Rory Kinnear in various different roles. And it's it's an interesting concept, an interesting experiment that, like I said, I don't know is quite as successful as maybe Matt thinks it was. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is coming out. You can get a two-pack with both films. You can get a steelbook, and Walmart has a limited edition comic book. Includes nearly an hour of bonus features. Have you seen the Sonic films with uh, First Run Jr.? We watched the first one. I have not seen the second one. Fair enough. I hear they're actually not horrible. Yeah, the first one actually wasn't that bad. I mean, I didn't, I'm not like running out to see the, the second one, but I probably wouldn't be angry if I saw it. Fair. Also coming up is uh, Vivo, including a sing-along edition. This is an animated film. A Monkey Strives to Fulfill His Musical Destiny by traveling from Havana to Miami. Nitrum, or Nitrum, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. Events leading up to the 1996 Port Arthur Massacre in Transmania in an attempt to understand why and how the atrocity occurred. Matt, they're putting out the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter thing. I guess they had some big HBO Max special where they brought everybody back to kind of do a little retrospective. So they get that's getting released. Kino Lorber is putting out Neptune Frost, an intersex African hacker, a Colton Miner, and the virtual Marvel born as a result of their union. Do right. something? I don't know. That's the write-up. It's, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Bayview Entertainment is putting out The Enormity of Life, featuring Brick and Meyer and Emily Kinney. Sony is putting out Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story. This is a documentary about a jazz fest in New Orleans, featuring Jimmy Buffett, Gary Clark Jr., Al Green, Herbie Hancock, Tom Jones, and Branford Marsalis. New to Blu-ray, the Back to the Beach film from 1987, featuring Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello, and Laurie Laughlin, who I believe is freshly out of the clink is uh, coming up, includes a 4K restoration of that. Features appearances by Connie Stevens, Dick Dale, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Donna Adams, Bob Denver, Jerry Mathers, Barbara Billingsley, Ed Cookie Burns, and Pee Wee Herman. Ah, that's the one we didn't include in our opening montage. Tony Dow passed away too. I dropped the ball on that one. Sorry, Tony Dow. Domestic Disturbance is a catalog release from Paramount. It's coming back into print, featuring John Travolta and Vince Vaughn. Troma is putting out Death by Temptation, featuring Kadeem Harrison. Harrison, excuse me, in Blu-ray. 88 Films is putting out the martial arts film Flying Guillotine 2, directed by Kong Shang and Sean Hua. And uh, what else we got, Matt? Film Detectives is putting out Battle of the Worlds, featuring Claude Rains, the brand new 4K restoration. Code Red putting out Made in Sweden with a 2K restoration. Matt, this screams you. Made in Sweden tells the story of Inga, a 16-year-old Swedish girl who leaves her rural home to spend a weekend in the Swedish capital. An innocent with no experience, but with a prodigious physical attributes, she has a series of romantic adventures as she throws her off her frustrations of her small-town environment. That does seem right up your alley. Brand new 2K restoration of that one. Unearth Films is putting out Dr. Lamb with a brand new 2K restoration of the fully uncut version of the film. This is about an abnormal taxi driver who lusts for blood every rainy night and several young women are killed as a result. There are uh, some new uh, interviews of that one as well. Kino Arbor's putting out The Trials of Oscar Wilde featuring Peter Finch and James Mason. Margaret Sullivan, a uh, pair of Margaret Sullivan films, Matt. Little Man, What Now, and Next Time We Love. Uh, Next Time We Love also featuring Jimmy Stewart and Ray Milland. Sandpiper is putting out State of Grace. This is the film featuring Sean Penn, Ed Harris, Gary Holdman, Robin Wright, John Turturro, and Burgess Meredith. It's about Terry Noonan who returns home to New York's Hell's Kitchen after a 10-year absence. He soon hooks up with his girlfriend, excuse me, his childhood pal, Jackie, who is involved in the Irish mob run by his brother, Frankie. Terry also rekindles an old flame with Jackie's sister, Kathleen. Soon, however, though, Matt, Terry is torn between his loyalty to his friends and his loyalty to others. Sandpiper is also putting out Sydney Lamette's Equus. 
If you're familiar with the film Equus, stars Richard Burton and Peter Firth, just go ahead and do some Googling on that one. I'm not going to bring it up now. Sandpiper is also releasing Alexander the Great. This is another Richard Burton film. And, excuse me, Sandpiper's not done yet, Matt. Yul Brenner stars in Solomon and Sheba. Your UHD releases for the week? Oh, just stay tuned for that stinger, folks. Michael Mann's Heat is getting its UHD release with a uh, steelbook from Best Buy. It was previously remastered in 4K but released on Blu-ray and um, includes the Academy panel featuring uh, interviews with Michael Mann, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, moderated by indie director Christopher Nolan. Audio commentary by Michael Mann, Toronto National Film Festival Q&A with Mann, um, 11 deleted scenes, and more. Also, the documentary The Green Planet, narrated by David Attenborough, is being released in 4K. The really, truly horrible film Doom, is being released in 4K, includes the unrated extended edition of the film. Event Horizon gets a 4K UHD release map, but only in a steel book for now. So if you're not a steel book fan, you can uh, hold off on that. There is a Dolby Vision presentation, but I've read that the transfer is just okay. I don't know if it's going to be worth an upgrade if you already own it. I don't own it. I don't know if I... I, I don't know. Event Horizon's fine. I don't know. I've never have any real juice to ever watch it again. And uh, your straight to DVD pick of the week, Matt. I there is so much crazy stuff. I'm not even sure where to begin. There's something called The Last Scene Alive, featuring Gerard Butler and Jamie Alexander. A movie called The Hot Seat with Kevin Dillon, Mel Gibson, and Shannon Doherty. There's a movie called The Time Capsule that looks really just bizarre. Something else called Codename Banshee, featuring Jamie King and Antonio Banderas. But none of them were good enough. I still have two more, Matt, that I can't decide, so I'm going to list them both for you because they are both insane. Maybe I should pocket one for next week because sometimes these picks are a little limiting, but they're both so crazy I have to tell you about them. One is called L.A. AIDS Jabber. Okay. Any idea what that might be about? Uh, I, I can't even hazard a guess. A guy who has been diagnosed with AIDS decides to get his revenge on the world by attacking people with hypodermic needles filled with his blood. Oh. Thanks, Visual Vengeance. They're putting out this one. But no, you think that's bad. Here's the closer. Pinocchio 964. Pinocchio 964, Matt, is a lobotomized cyborg sex slave. And he's thrown out onto the street by his owners because of an inability to maintain an erection. He is befriended by a criminally insane, memory-wiped homeless girl. Meanwhile, the corporate entity who manufactured and sold them plots to kill him because of his malfunction. Wow. Coming soon to Disney+. Plus. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? All right, so uh, available as of August 1st is the, what was it, Swedish-Norwegian horror film that we caught up with from IFC, uh, Hatching. It's available on Hulu um, for your viewing pleasure. And I also caught up with one of the DC animated films. I had caught multiple times just through TBS or whatever the Keanu Reeves Constantine film, which I is not a good Hellblazer film but it's not a bad film necessarily as a supernatural noir kind of thing. But it made me want to go watch some of the animated Constantine films. So I ended up catching up with John Constantine's City of Demons, which is available on HBO Max. Wasn't bad. It was actually pretty dark. And um, I'm looking forward to catching up with the, the new one that just came out, House of Mystery. Man, I got to check those out. I'm a big Constantine fan. Isn't it technically Constantine too? I think that's how uh, um, more... Alan Morris is and he created the character yeah he he might have I don't know but all I know is that everybody says Constantine in the movies and and even the DC animated film so that's what I'm going with yeah same here I, I'm on board with that are you excited for the Sandman show on Netflix I'm cautiously excited I'm not convinced I'm not sold that it's going to be any good but I love the Sandman so I'm going to check it out Gaiman seems all in on it does he's, he he's yeah he's been raving about oh, okay. it okay so. then here's hoping all right, folks, let's go ahead and keep rolling. Begin our Terrence Malick marathon with the, hmm, the visual poem. Malick's understated, I guess we could say, Days of Heaven. You've never been in love before. Why's that? never been this rich, all right? I mean, we were just all of a sudden living like kings. Just 
nothing to do all day but crack jokes, lay around. We didn't have to walk. I'm telling you, the rich gotta figure it out. Man, is it weird, Matt, how it's kind of feels, that clip feels kind of disjointed and odd where we're kind of just floating around from little vignette to little vignette. Uh-huh. And then you have Robert De Niro putting on like a young woman's girl's child's <laughs> voice doing narration. And so Days of Heaven, Terrence Malick's second feature after the lightning bolt, I think, of cinema that was Badlands, mm-hmm. which is a truly revelatory film, blew my mind when I first watched it. And now is his second film, Days of Heaven, featuring Richard Gere, Brooke Adams, and Sam Shepard, and then, of course, Linda Manns, who uh, plays the young girl and provides the narration in the film. And Richard Gere's character, um, Bill, knocks down his boss in a steel mill and kills him. So he grabs his lover, played by, of course, Brooke Adams, and his sister, Linda, and then they run away. They run off. Mm -hmm. And they kind of pick up as day laborers in this wheat farmer's field kind of in the middle of nowhere in the texas panhandle and this farm is run by sam shepherd sham shepherd's character may matt appears is ill has maybe a year to live so uh gears bill tells abby befriend him marry him and then we'll get all of his money at the end and it sounds very much like this classic noir kind of plot yeah that never really seems to happen. And it's not the film that Malik ends up making. And I think that's interesting because I did some research on this. Because I'm watching this thing, Matt, and I'm like, this feels very disjointed. I feel like Malik has an idea of what he's doing, but he doesn't know where he's going mm-hmm. with this film. And I think he's struggling through this. And then I will say, it looks phenomenal. I mean, it is a gorgeous film. It's like a, like a, a Hopper painting kind of come to life. So much so... That the house is based on one of Hopper's paintings. Okay. It's actually like a replica of a house in the painting. Okay. They actually built. They actually built the house. It's not like um, a set thing. They actually built it. Okay. Matt, it's a stark film with stunning images and these delicate vignettes bookended by these two acts of violence. And I guess it's been described as a visual poem more so than a traditional narrative feature. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's an apt description. So Matt, A, do you agree with that? And then B, does it does it work? Yeah. So I, I will point out one one slight twist in Chris's description of this or the plot of this film. Bill and his girlfriend, Abby, they're pretending to be brother and sister for some reason, right. which is a big deal because that makes it all the more important just because they're not acting like brother and sister and it kind of alerts everybody to their scheme kind of thing. So that's, that's I think, a, a key point to this. Hmm. Why they decided to do that, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense why they decided to do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, sure. Yeah, so I think everything about this, like you said, doesn't really fit the narrative of the story. Like, even the music in this, where you kind of heard what was in there. They have bits of little uh, classical music from, like, uh, French composer Sanson. And it's all this very kind of dreamlike, ethereal kind of scene setting with these these shots of these expansive, gorgeous vistas. These like kind of American Gothic, you know, scenes of the laborers in the wheat fields and stuff like that. Long shots of, of Richard Gere staring off into the distance at Golden Hour. It's all this stuff that's just gorgeous, right? Yeah, I, I actually, my first note is like, it's the midnight hour of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> or the golden hour of the movie. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. Uh-huh. And honestly, visually, it is absolutely stunning. I think it's just indicative of a director who has a singular visual style and vision, whereas he kind of loses the thread is making this kind of pot boiler nominally tale, and he just kind of loses the thread. I think this movie would have been a lot better if it was just more of like a simple you know, depression era, working in the Dust Bowl kind of thing. Like, I think that would have worked better than whatever he's trying to do here. So from what I understand, Matt, after two weeks of shooting, Malik was so disappointed with the dailies, mm-hmm. everything he was seeing, he said to hell with it. He threw out the script and decided to make this kind of a more impressionistic film and shoot as much as he could and try and assemble something in the editing room. Mm-hmm. And it took them two years to edit this film, wow. to put it together. 
And I mean, just talk about, I guess, just the beginning of, of Malik's just, I don't know, his, his, I don't know if he's just paralyzed by indecision. Right. Like it took him a year to cast the movie, two years to edit it and put it together. And then after this film was done, he didn't make another movie for 20 years. Really? It, not until the third red, thin red line. Wow. I did not realize that. So uh, it's crazy to me. So it, when he was looking to cast it, first up, I guess he couldn't make up his mind. He wanted Pacino or Justin Hoffman. Okay. Unavailable. And then he cast Travolta. Travolta. Wow. And it was it was Magnum P.I. all over again. Welcome back, Cotter. Would not let him out of his contract okay. to be in the film. So eventually they decided on Gear and then Adams and Shepard, all who were basically play actors. They were mm-hmm. Broadway actors. They they are you know, they they did they were stage actors is the term I'm looking for prior to this film and i will say it does it's funny i feel like this film is a happy accident Mm. i feel that malik is lost making this film and he is struggling to assemble it's almost a cohesive narrative with it but it's saved by its shot selection how beautiful it is and i think a morricone score that's at the top of his game and it's so it is so delicate that score, along with these kind of sweeping violins and string movements as well. But it suits the images so perfectly, and the film captures this kind of dreamlike state through the whole film, and it covers up, I think, the disjointedness of the movie, and it shifts mm-hmm. it from a a hashed kind of together mess. And make it gives it this almost ethereal quality and saves it. Now I think it barely papers over the film's flaws because of that, but it's enough, I think, to elevate it. I think he's enough of an artist that he assembles an image, a series of images, I guess technically, for us with the emo- striking the right emotional chord with Morricone's score um, and the cinematography that everything just barely comes together, but the result is still something striking. Yeah, I. Uh... I completely agree. Like, I didn't hate this. Like, Mm -hmm. I expected that, you know, something like this that would be so disjointed and so kind of fails its story would be something I didn't like. And honestly, it didn't really bother me while I was watching this. This is a film that, while I can't recommend it necessarily to everybody, like, I feel like I would buy this if I could get it on 4K and just, like, watch it, you know, and not really worry about what they're saying or any of that stuff. I mean, it's a turn-of-the-century pastoral film, you know, or pastoral poem put to film. It's it's just, I don't know, it, it, it just kind of felt, like, weird, like, in this the way we were just talking about Marcel. It was kind of like a weird, soothing experience. Like, I'm watching this thing, even with the anticipation of upcoming violence and stuff, it didn't fill me with kind of dread. It was just kind of like this... Uh, kind of warm relaxing look and in fact the only thing that did fill me with dread is that with the the ending that you see coming i was just more worried that it was gonna mess around with the beauty of the thing that i've kind of gotten into myself all worked up into kind of thing yeah i i think it's an interesting experience i don't think it's for everyone but i I think it's a flawed but good achievement achievement yeah i think of it being described as a visual poem is really the best way to describe this thing it it's it feels like a dream, and I think I chalk that up a bit to luck and on an and an artistic vision. I guess he's able to assemble something out of this mat. I gave Days of Heaven a B. I think it's again. I can you can for me, and maybe I'm just too cynical and old. The issue, even though you have these, these as I said, these delicate dissolves from scene to scene. You know, everything, and there's minute, like, like I don't know, 15 seconds of two people looking at each other or having a brief conversation. Then we have this dissolve into this next scene, this gorgeous landscape thing and all this stuff. Again, it feels like he lucked into putting this thing together and that, and that its flaws to me are, they stick out to me. But they're covered up just enough, so that's why I landed with a B. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a B as well. I think it's it's visually beautiful. I think it's worth the price of admission. But if you have a a hesitancy for a lot of kind of stilted dialogue and navel gazing, <laughs> this may not be for you. But I think you'll be all right. That's good. All right, folks. If you chance to see Days of Heaven, I gotta tell you, Matt, I am happy though. I did pick up that Criterion Blu-ray prior to its going out of. They announced it was going out of print, and I ran down to Barnes and Noble and grabbed it. <laughs> Uh, I started listening to, there's a nice interview with Richard Gere. It's an audio one. And then there's one with Sam Shepard and some other stuff too. So audio commentary. I may listen to that audio commentary. Malik's not featured on it. 
but it may be interesting to kind of see behind the creative process of how this thing kind of ended up coming together. So if you've had a chance to see it, feedback at thefirstrun.com. It is now available on Blu-ray, um, I believe from Paramount. So you can't pick it up. You just obviously won't get all the Criterion features. All right, Matt, let's go into something really important. Let's talk about, it's gonna, we haven't done The Lounge in a long time. If you're not familiar, folks, The Lounge is kind of more where we just shoot the yes. We talk about different things that are interesting to us. I think the focus will be uh, the MCU and the San Diego Comic-Con. We've done enough artsy stuff. We're going to get right into our uh, our wheelhouses here and talk about some MCU and uh, some other stuff. I may have some thoughts on Batgirl getting shelved. Um, and then the, the greater plan over at Warner Brothers, too. So uh, let's jump into it. Still in control, no overwhelming feelings of rage. No, a normal amount of rage. You do revert back to Gen 4 when you sleep. Was the air horn really necessary? For comedy, absolutely. This is a multi-year journey you're about to embark on. Yes. Yeah. Who's your best friend? Nikki. Spandex. Spandex is your best friend. Being a Hulk asks for balance. You have so much more to learn. Yes! So I'm clearly nailing it at all of these things. If you want to go back to your life as a lawyer, I, I respect that. He doesn't mean that. So, Matt, She-Hulk, attorney at law, had a big trailer released at San Diego Comic-Con. Coming out basically in, what, 14 days? Two weeks. It'll be on Disney Plus. Featuring Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk uh, of Orphan Black fame. Uh, Jamila Jamil plays Titania. Mark Ruffalo, as you heard, is Bruce Banner, the Hulk, in this as well. One of the things I'm excited about is Tim Roth returns as Abomination. And I guess we find out what he's been up to uh, since Shang-Chi and more. But that was one of the really the big, uh, I don't know if it's a big announcement, but She-Hulk. Are you going to watch She-Hulk? I still haven't watched Miss Marvel yet. Uh, yeah, I probably will. I mean, I've watched all of the MCU TV shows so far, and I've found them, at the very least, to be entertaining diversions, if not groundbreaking always. Fair. I'm caught up now. I have, actually have about 20 minutes to go on the last episode of Breaking Bad that just premiered this Monday. I've been trying to catch up with that too. Not Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Sorry, that that, that episode would title Breaking Bad because two characters from some other show actually show up in this one. So, uh, oh wow, okay. there you go. Anyway, where are we? MCU, Matt, San Diego Comic Con. What were the big things that stuck out to you? What were you most excited about? Um, well, I guess let me. Uh pull up the list here so i will say right off the bat they they kind of lifted out phase five but at the end kind of separate and apart from phase five i guess for i guess phase six i suppose Mm -hmm. um they listed out the two new avenger films one called avenger the the kang dynasty and then after that avengers secret war um plural Circuit Wars. Let's okay. get it right now. So I'm incredibly excited for those. I'm very interested to see what that's going to be. And I think of the kind of Phase 5 stuff, I think the one thing I was most uh, interested in seeing was the fact that that Daredevil, Charlie Cox Daredevil, is going to get his own show, which I'm excited for Charlie Cox. I liked his Daredevil. I think he deserves another shot. So I'm, I'm excited that they're going to actually put that to film yeah and denofrio is coming back as kingpin uh it is going to premiere at some point in the spring of 2024 and it's 18 episodes long i know it's long so is it going to follow the born again storyline is uh does karen page bite it in this one is that when she dies in born again i can't remember uh, i think, think that, i think that's right i hope not and she hasn't been announced as coming back either none of the other characters have been announced so far just uh cox and denofrio yeah, you know what? I mean, Deborah Ann Wool, I know she said that after Daredevil, she's really had a lot of trouble getting work and stuff, you know, so I'd like her to come back and get some work. You know, she's kind of in that weird, too young to be a mom, but like not really the 20-something, the you know, ingenue anymore. So I think it's, you know, I'd like to see her come back. I think she was good in the role. Hmm. I wonder if they'll go as hard, though, as they do in Born Again with her. That would be... Uh... Yeah, I hope not. I mean, that's... I mean, it'd be really 
Born Again is a really divisive storyline for Daredevil. A lot of people really don't like it in the way they did Karen so dirty mm. kind of thing. So I would hope that they're not... I don't know. I hope they kind of can read the room. I would be really surprised that they're going to put something like that on Disney+. Plus. I, I would be shocked as well. So let me ask you then about phase, phase six there. I know we're jumping ahead a bit there. So they can't, So Fantastic Four comes out November of 2024. So that will be established. And then Kang Dynasty comes out supposedly May 2nd of 2025. Now, barring some cataclysmic culture, uh, climate event, and everybody's still here, and we're not trying to kill each other for potable water by then. So the Fantastic Four is mean the Kang Dynasty. Secret Wars, though, is what I'm really focused on. Now, the kid in me wants Jim Shooter, Mike Zek, Bob Layton, Secret Wars. I want Beyonder. I want Battle World. I have not, I, I will confess, I am not familiar with the more modern Secret Wars. I haven't read comics mm-hmm. with any consistency for probably 15 years. So yeah. I am not familiar with that Secret Wars. I understand it's similar where they grab pocket realities from different worlds and put them all together on one planet. And you're able to enter those realities by going into that air quotes country or that area. And I'm assuming then that's how... Here's where I'm confused. Is that Phase 4 supposedly is the end of the multiverse saga. But I feel like that would not be correct. Because I would assume Secret Wars would be. Because then it sounds to me the best way to merge everything together. Yeah. And that's how. And that's clearly where the X-Men I think are coming in. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you. That I think that's where X-Men are coming in. And I also think that... Um, in the comics, that's where they kind of brought in Miles Morales and uh, the Gwen Stacy version of Spider Woman into the main continuity was using was through Secret Wars. Um, so they, I think that's a good way to bring both of those characters in if they are so inclined. I know they will for Miles. I don't know about Gwen. And that's Stacey. probably what you think. Um, then that would be Holland's swan song. Then for sure, at that I point, would, I would, I would think so. I mean, I, yeah, we'll see. We'll have to see. Although, so you haven't seen Ms. Marvel, so spoiler, guys. But at the end of Ms. Marvel, well, she she uh, it's revealed that she's a mutant. Oh, really? She's not an inhuman. She's not an inhuman like she is in the comic book. She's a mutant. And when they play it, this is so stupid. When they reveal that little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, info, the X Men '97 theme song plays for like a few bars, like when, oh, really? they, when they say that. So yeah, that's. I think they've already started to establish that mutants are are here. Okay, so have they just been in the background the whole time, and no one is? Well, I guess it's possible because supposedly there's a uh, celestial up in the Arctic mm-hmm. someplace, sticking out of the world, mm-hmm. and nobody seems to be talking about. That's very true. Yeah, that's also very true. <laughs> or the Pacific, or whatever the hell that damn thing was, in in the in Mortals, or it was it was it was it Eternals. Eternals. Yeah, you would think that they would be there would be like World War Three trying to fight over the resources of that. If like they're like in Guardians of the Galaxy, they're mining a celestial head. You would think that they would be able. Wouldn't to- that f up our orbit? In some capacity, would that shift the Earth's orbit? You would think. You would think so. It would kind of mess up with the <laughs> gravity a little bit. Yeah, there's all kinds. Like, don't think okay. about it. Is basically what it's coming down to. Yeah. That's fair. Um, other than that, I mean, um, as far as the phase, you, am, uh, I mean, I, most of it's fine. I mean, I'm not super excited for a lot of it. I'll be curious to see Chris ranting about uh, Thunderbolts versus Suicide Squad. Uh, Suicide Squad. <laughs> don't think yeah. I didn't jump in my head as soon as I saw it. I think the whole Agatha series is pretty pointless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like uh, Catherine Hahn a lot, yeah. but I don't think there's any reason to have it. Ironheart, okay. I guess the only other thing I'm really jazzed for is Blade. I'm really interested to see how they kind of come full circle with their first Marvel movie to see what they come back with, with uh, Marshall Hala Ali. Look, I understand the hesitancy, but if we get a Ghost Rider, I'll be so excited because Ghost Rider was like my third favorite character. I love Ghost Rider. So I'd be so happy if somehow they could bring him back. Well, all right. Supposedly Ryan Gosling said he'd love to play Ghost Rider. So yeah, I, you know what? I don't even care. Sure. <laughs> That's great. Let's do it. I yeah. don't know. This is weird. I feel like, Wesley Snipes is so embedded in my brain as Blade that I can't see. I know Marshall Ali is a great actor. I get that, but I don't, I don't see anybody else in that role. This is like bigger than for me than like than Christopher Reeve as Superman or you know like or any of the Batmans. You know, I feel like right. nobody else. I don't, I don't know. I don't know because there hasn't been another 
cinematic iteration of Blade, maybe that's what it is, and yeah. I'm sure it'll be yeah. fine. We'll get the Black Knight, I assume, in Blade as well in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Since he Moon Knight, I would assume. Yeah, since he showed up at the end of uh, Inhumans, Eternals. I keep doing it. So I don't I have no, I'm not super excited about Blade at all. No. I mean, just think about, though, look at how bad Wesley Snipes was in Blade 3. Um, and then you can That's think true. about that, about that performance. The first um, two films are really good. But yeah, that third one. Yeah, they are. They're fun. They're a lot of fun. But it's it. the third one becomes a lot better when you realize why it is the way it is. Because Wesley Snipes refused to show up. So they're just like riffing off of nobody being yeah. there kind of thing. And they just pasted him in in post. And then I guess the, the last thing I'll say about this is that I'm actually really excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I really like the Ant-Man films. Mm-hmm. I know I'm in the minority on that one i think a lot of people think it's some of the weaker mcu stuff but i enjoy them quite a bit so i'm actually looking forward to this i think i've said many times that the ant-man films are the perfect distillation of mcu they're confectionary products they're that's all they are everything that's great and bad about mcu is the ant-man movies now i'm excited because kang supposedly the main bad guy i guess in quantum mania and jonathan majors i love and kang was one of my favorites as a kid so I'm excited for that. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is supposed to be pretty dark. Uh, and yeah. a lot of the cast doesn't make it out. That, that uh, Gunn says he's closing the door. This is it on the Guardians yeah. in this film. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Um, I haven't seen the Marvel show yet. So I am interested to see what the Marvels turns out to be. Uh, Captain America New World Order. Man, if Sam Wilson is knocking out some neo-Nazis, sign me up. I really hope that's what we're dealing with in that one. Mm-hmm. Thunderbolts, I just don't care. I, I don't. Yeah. The only thing I, I, I would possibly interest me is if it does include um, Baron Zemo. Zemo was one of, another one of my favorite villains. I don't know why I found that pink mask thing with the gold crown. So, yeah, it's his pink balaclava that he wears <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I love that thing. I don't know why. And then I'm, a, but who are the other Thunderbolts? Is it U.S. Agent? I assume. Who else? Yeah, like Echo, agent, uh, who's getting her own show. The new Black Widow is probably okay. going to be in it. Elena Belova, Taskmaster, is supposed to be kind of making a comeback. I'm hoping it's one that's not mute mm-hmm. um, and is entertaining. Um, but that's what I've heard. It'd be basically new Black Widow, new Taskmaster, Baron Zemo. Um, so we'll see. Okay. Good times. Uh, High Evolutionary showing up in Guardians Three as well, so that might be interesting. Another interesting uh, character design. I have no experience or interaction with Ironheart, um, but I guess she shows up in Wakanda Forever, from what I understand, okay. right from that trailer. Sure. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Wakanda Forever. Somebody's pregnant. Mm. I'm assuming with Chala's kid. I think it's Nyong'o. They don't, sit, but there is okay. a scene of a, a pregnant woman's belly. So I'm assuming that's who that is. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's going to be the new Black Panther. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's probably going to be Shuri. That's the only thing I can think of. And I always see, I took the the pregnant, I thought that was, you know, you know they had the underwater birth scene, so I thought it was had something to do with Namor. Oh, I guess it could be Namor. That'd be yeah. fun to see uh, Namor as well. I always called it the Submariner as a kid, but I guess it's Submariner, right? It's a, Submariner, yeah. Because I'm dumb. Yeah. Fair. All right. We'll have to see who that, how that turns out. But I guess, yeah, Wakanda Forever is the end, right? That's the end of yeah, phase so- four. Yeah, that's that's the end of Phase Four. To yes, the one that comes out this year is the last film of Phase Four, which is the end of the. I don't know. No, it's the Multiverse Saga for Wikipedia runs through Phase Six. Yeah, no, I think this is basically the foundation. So remember, like Phase One, they're all kind of disjointed. Everybody's complaining, like, "Where's the big villain? Where's all that kind of stuff?" We didn't get any of that in Phase right. One. I mean, that was laying the groundwork for the Infinity stuff and was really establishing the Avengers. That was it. I think this is all just kind of laying groundwork kind of stuff, which has been really more missed than hit. I think a lot of it's been pretty middling, but we'll see. Hopefully they can bring it around. Fair enough. I've got a sworn I heard Fiki say that phase four was the end of the multiverse saga. I must've misheard that. So that's on me. Mm. Um, good times. What else we got? Yeah. We talked about daredevil, uh, Loki season two. I'm super excited about, of course I like, yeah, that looks. I good. was still surprised how much I like that, that show. And I, I don't know what they're going to do. So I guess, uh, what's his name there is not going to be Reed Richards. That was supposedly was just fan casting for uh, the one film that Krasinski okay. may indeed not be. They have a number, another person in line potentially for that. So, but they got to start moving soon, 2024. So they'll probably start casting end of this year, early next yeah, year. Yeah, you would think so. Next year. Yeah. 
Yeah. We'll have to see. So, I don't know. Okay. Lots of lots of stuff. I think that the uh, uh, MCU really stole the show there at the San Diego Comic-Con. I think DC, Warner Brothers was basically a non-presence. Um, yeah. which they continue to be entirely. We can talk about that a little bit. Uh, oh, Secret Invasion. So are the, um, what are they called? The Scrolls? The Scrolls, yeah. Are they just going to kind of be a minor thing? I thought they were building up to something, but it seems like it's just going to be a placeholder yeah, I don't thing. I no. I mean, I guess maybe all I can figure is maybe there's like a... a like a faction of like evil scrolls or like, and like it's going to be the two things It's going to be like uh, the good scrolls that, that Fury's working with. And there's the bad scrolls who've like infiltrated. And it's going to be a fight between the two. All right. Whatever. So, so you, or do you think we're going to get, are we going to get legit black suit Spider-Man then at some point in the next uh, two phases? God, I hope so. I hope so. Black suit Spider-Man is my favorite. Uh, yeah, I really, really hope we get the black suit. That'd be they awesome. do set it up, right? At the end of um, No yeah, Way Home, there's yeah, a little maybe. bit of uh, Venom left behind in our in our yeah, universe. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't have Venom without it, like, without the relationship to Spider-Man in the first place, so it doesn't make any sense yeah. if they don't. Before we move off the MCU, I just want to ask you Please. one thing. Um, so Love and Thunder has per rotten tomatoes has a lower score than than dark world love and thunder is apparently the worst thor film according that to is not true rotten tomatoes i was about to say what is your reaction to this because i know you're you have quite a bit of disdain for dark yeah world. no that that is absolutely not true i would watch love and thunder a thousand times before i'd watch dark world once no, yeah. that is ridiculous. I have not seen Dark World, I think, since it came out, but I've yeah. also had no desire. And I've wanted to revisit Love and Thunder to see if maybe I just kind of missed the point of it the first time through. Yeah. Maybe YTT wanted to make something, I think I just said earlier today, confectionery-esque, where it's all just cotton candy for your brain. I don't know. Yeah. But no, absolutely not. That's preposterous. I'm assuming that I'm going to chalk that up to having more critics on Rotten Tomatoes now. Than there were back when maybe. Uh, Dark World yeah, came out. Yeah, maybe. Or people getting more, more being more critical kind of thing. We'll see. Maybe. Um, Dark World or, or Iron Man 2, which is I worse. I think I would go Dark World. Because you have the power of Robert Downey Jr. That uh, is, acts as a bomb over any... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. He papers over it. What about you? Yeah. All right. Interesting. Now, unlike you, I have seen Dark World. I've caught it like, you know, it's one of those things you catch again, like on FX late at night or something. It's not as bad as I remember it being. Um, it's just kind of there. I think Iron Man 2, I think because it was such a dip in quality, I think it's mm -hmm. more egregious to me. Whereas th the first Thor... You had to choose one to rewatch. So. You had to, you know, oh, I want to watch Blank today. Which one would you choose then? Oh, geez, that's tough. Um, yeah, I guess... I guess... I'll, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Dark World. I think I think I'm gonna watch Dark World over Iron Man two because I did watch Iron Man two and it's not it's not bad, but it's just not that good. I mean, Mickey Rourke is just ridiculous. Um, you know, yeah. uh, Justin Hammer's fun, I guess, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. They both have. Isn't Hammer in three with the Mandarin? Am I confusing that? Is he? Then who am I thinking of? Uh, no, that is so. No, I thought three was the was the guy with yeah. the well, Inferno was Justin stuff. Hammer though. Mm -hmm. Don Cheadle, Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. Yeah, you're right. Iron Man 2. That's where we got Black Widow for the first time, though, too, right? It is. So. It is. That is true. So I could have sworn then who was... Uh, who, uh, Guy Pierce was... Killian. Oh, okay. I, I thought Guy yeah. Pierce's character was Justin Hammer in that film. That's my fault. I'm doomed. All right. Good times. So let's talk about my boy, Zazlev. Who is David Zaslev, who is the head of the newly formed Warner Brothers Discovery, the CEO of the company, has made a bold call, man. Has decided to shelve Scoobs 2, the uh, Scooby-Doo movie. And also, which is, from what I understand, basically complete. And has shelved Batgirl, which is also basically done. Has had test screenings, spent $90 million to make it. And they are not going to put it in theaters. They're not going to put it on HBO Max. They say their focus is big budget kind of spectacle films or smaller things for streaming 
and this is neither of those things. So they are not going to put it out. Now, Variety reports that this is all about tax write-offs. That they can write them off and then be able to reduce their taxable obligations. Which means it will never legally get released. And it's too sad. Now, supposedly the test screenings for Batgirl are abysmal. Now, that's also, I guess, from Warner Brothers, the studio that has decided to shelve the movie, right? So, I don't know if that's some butt covering or what, because it's also was directed by the people who did the Miss Marvel show, right? Right. And people are raving about the Miss Marvel show. So, I don't know. Maybe it is atrocious. Maybe the script is horrible. Maybe, um, what's her name, the young woman from In the Heights is uh, an atrocious Batgirl. I, I don't know. I am disappointed. If you're going to put out something, and my, one of my brothers-in-law texted this to me last night. You're telling me you're going to put out Jonah Hex, but you can't put out Batgirl? And I'm like, yeah. So that way, it's I don't know if it's it's this guy saying, listen, I'm in charge. This is how we're doing things now. And I don't give an S. That he's just going to shelve the film. And then you add in the tax write-off stuff. So he gets to look like a badass and like, oh boy, don't mess with the CEO. And then they get to get the tax write off. Then that's that. Now, I, I'm curious what this means for the DCEU proper. I don't know. Does it mean we're going to get a big, super duper, great Superman movie? Because there are more involved, want big event type stuff. I'd be okay with that. But... I think you're also going to potentially drive talent away. You're going to drive artistic talent away. And then maybe you will. Well, then you know what, though? I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset Matt here. It hasn't impacted the MCU. They kind of just have a template. And they bring in, all right, you know, Matt, I want you to direct this touching, dramatic moment between our two characters. And then we'll handle the big battle stuff here. The big uh, fight scenes. And... Is that the is he trying to follow that route too? I don't know. I, it just bothers me. I want to see the movie. All right, that's basically what I'm saying. And then still on top of that, mum on Ezra Miller's Flash film, not a word yet. So, and I'm also robbed of another turn of Michael Keaton as Batman by shelving Batgirl. If that comes out, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but Michael Keaton as Batman is going to be in the Flash film, right? Assuming. If that comes out. See, the whole thing is just really weird to me is that, you know, we, is that we, that you can just like shelve this thing and then get a tax write off for it, which is just like, it's just weird right. that, you know, you have to like, they can just be like, no, this is no good. We're just going to write it, do a write off on it. And that's it. That's crazy to me, which I don't think is right. But be that as it may, I would think it's got to be bad. Or, you know, maybe this new guy, he's like, you know what? Let's move away from HBO Max. It's not really the future. Or, you know, it's not really going to be our main focus. So I would, maybe they're just going to move away from putting stuff like that out there on HBO Max. I'm not sure. Honestly, I hope it does mean better things for the DCEU. I think they've had a really missed bag, but I think their heights are really, really good. But at least with the Batman and stuff like that. But I don't know. We'll see. I hope so. So here's the thing that worries me in the end. In the end, in at the end, my, I am an artist at my heart. I am a failed artist. And this is what worries me. So when Zaslav came on, this is, I saw this on Twitter today. There's an interview he did. They're talking about Cry Macho. And that he was, he didn't understand why they made Cry Macho. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Eastwood's long on the tooth. It's not going to make any money. Why did we spend any money on this thing? And the studio's like, well, we have a 50-year relationship with Eastwood. He's consistently delivered for us films under budget and under time. He has a built-in audience. And we felt kind of you know, obligated to make the film with him because he wanted to do it. And his response is classic, saying, quoting, I guess, the line from Jerry Maguire, it's not show friends, Matt. It's show business. <laughs> and that you know that will turn off artists that will yeah. make artists who have something important to say uh not want to work with you and i think it's a it, it demonstrates a fundamental understanding of what makes cinema so special you what you would should do if you were an artistic 
outlet, an entity, which clearly they're saying Warner Brothers will no longer be, is that you make your big, big films, right? And then you, you, then you, you get your cred, you get your artistic cred and integrity by distributing, creating smaller independent films that are well-received and do well at the Oscars, Right. And then you blow, throw a bunch of money at the next franchise. But then you do your Marcel the Shells with shoes on type of a thing. Right. Right. And that's the way to do it. Because um, if you lose that, if you switch just to being a content provider, then I think in the end you're going to suffer. And people will see through the facade and you will then just be churning out shit. You'll basically become, look at what Netflix is dealing with right now, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially with their movie content. Their shows tend to do a little bit better, but yeah. the films they produce are turn out generally to be just utter garbage. Right. Well, the films that they produce are all, it seems like a bunch of stuff that has been shelved by other studios. And they're <laughs> like, hey, would you sell that to us? We'll, we'll, we'll buy that. You know, and that seems what all their films are. I agree with you. I think but the problem is, is that, you know, the film world is getting so cutthroat. Like, if you're not making a billion dollars, it's a disappointment kind of thing. You know, billion dollars worldwide. So, I don't know. I mean, it's we're getting further and further away from the kind of uh, expectations on what a film should be and how much money it should bring in and all that kind of stuff. And on return of investment, I think ultimately... You know, as the technology improves, I mean, I think more and more it's just going to be people are going to make films um, with these small studios or on their own, and then they're going to get picked up, hopefully, and make some money. But I think the, as you've lamented many, many times, I think the time of like having these kind of mid-tier films or these kind of uh, low-budget surprises are are quickly being left behind. Yeah, I mean, thankfully we still have your A24s, or for me. The studio I've been most impressed with the last year to two years has been Neon. Uh, really turning out some fascinating, challenging, and interesting work. And as long as those two studios... I mean, I guess I can forgive A24's really just insane shift into um, products like candles and beach towels and all that stuff. But if it helps maintain profitability, you know, I'll, I, I can cut you some slack. Uh, but still, yeah, that's, I lean now. I, I, it's what I do now, Matt. I look at, Oh, what's neon putting out this year? I got to check out to make sure I check all those off, you know? So I don't know. I think well, what may end up happening, like you say, is that the theaters will focus. You'll, you'll have, you know, Avengers Kang dynasty at the AMC 24 playing in 20 of the, the of the screens, and then in four of those screens, you maybe you'll have a neon or an A twenty four production or a Fox Searchlight. Excuse me, Searchlight. Uh, who knows? And so, and then there'll be independent theaters maybe that are able to survive off of the independence because they hopefully have a big enough fan base who will go to the. I think the people who make the independent smaller films are for the people like us who still like the theatrical experience, who still like to go, me more so than you. I know I think mm-hmm. if, if it was up to you, you'd stream everything basically outside of your your tentpole films. Yeah, pretty much I would, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I would have gone, I would have much rather watched Marcel the Shell at, at home. Like, I don't feel like the yeah. movie theater experience really brought anything to it. You know? Yeah, so I don't know, Matt. We'll have to talk about that. When I move back to Connecticut at some point, we'll have to open up our little independent theater slash video store. What do you, I right, think I better we'll... start start saving my pennies Save, yeah, my pocket change first run junior is not going to college just tell him that <laughs> is that what it is yeah, yeah she's moving into the family business <laughs> so yeah i don't know all right i think i've lamented the state of uh cinema so far i mean I, listen a few weeks ago we had what four films make 20 million dollars yeah so that's good and um i don't know it's it's not quite dead yet so there is that i'm just I don't know. I, I, I always call myself cautiously pessimistic. That's kind of how I yeah. live my life. So, Well, I've always wondered, though, I mean, how many times, I'm even trying to think, how many times have people declared that cinema is dead, and like it's on a downswing and that it's becoming artistically bankrupt? It seems like it's always been, that's kind of always been the lament, and they're always like, oh, the decade before was so much better kind of yeah. thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and then Parasite comes out and like, you know, yeah. blows everybody away and does really well. Yeah. I think it's just... Um, I think it just is what it is i think the main there's always going to be this like current of what's hot and what's popular and it's going to run its course but i think cinema as an art form i don't think it's going anywhere i think it'll be fine yeah 
fingers crossed that you're right on that. All right, man. Anything else? That's basically, I just wanted to lament the state of the DCEU, which I think is, I don't know. It could either go either way. It could be really great or it could crash and burn, which is basically what, you know, that property has done almost my entire life. Yeah, right. No, I think, I think I'm good. All right. So, Matt, what are we talking about next week then? Um, so we've got Bullet Train on the schedule, as well as Prey, um, the new Predator movie that's coming out on Hulu, and then uh, our next episode of the uh, Terrence Malick Marathon, which is going to have the Thin Red Line. Yeah, 20 years later, Matt, from uh, Days of Heaven. We'll have to see if it gets any better, this little Terry Malick guy. <laughs> In the meantime, you can check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. And go to thefirstrun.com itself. You can find the report card. Matt, I updated it a week ago. So all the report card is updated through, I think, the last two, up, except for the last two shows. And then you get archives of all of our shows, Matt, going back to, good Lord, Matt, what episode number is this? Do I even want to know? 617. Sweet Christ. All right. <laughs> Over to Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, give us a review. It'll help other people uh, find the show. Uh, screen Run, Episode 1, Season 3, Matt. Supposedly recording tonight. We'll have to see. Hopefully that comes through. And uh, that's it. We have not announced yet what it's all about yet. I've been dropping little teasers on the Screen Run Twitter page. Um, though not recently since my air conditioning is out. That has taken up the bulk of my free time is dealing with this. But... Either way, you don't need to know about that, right? Let's go ahead and close out the big show. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, take care of yourself, and uh, we will see you all soon. We love you. Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. Jesus.